Today's scripture is from Romans chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. Romans chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. For the death he, Christ, died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. One of my favorite television shows is AMC's The Walking Dead. Anybody like zombies up in here? If you don't know anything about the show, I'm going to kind of give you a very brief crash course introduction to the show. Here's how it starts. Rick is a police officer, and he wakes up from a coma into a world completely changed. Everywhere he looks, zombies are roaming the streets, feasting on human flesh and chasing down their next meal. Uh, Humans are few and far between, often huddled together in camps trying to stay alive and hide from the rampant undead. Any semblance of civilized society is gone, and things are only getting worse. They don't get better. That's the whole show. So if you watch the show, it never gets better. So Rick, our hero, goes looking for his wife and son in the midst of this apocalypse. And many fallen zombies later, lo and behold, he finds them. This is the first episode, sorry. He finds them. Uh, They're safe in a camp a few miles down the road. And when he gets there, uh, one of his old cop buddies, Shane, is in charge. So Rick and Shane, two guys, right? And Shane is very different than Rick. Shane is a little bit sort of Machiavellian, uh, very intense, a little impulsive, Uh, The end will always justify the means for him, pragmatic to a fault, keeping things moving with this kind of cold and calculated energy. And when Rick arrives at this camp with his wife and son, he immediately takes control, takes over the show. All of a sudden, he is the leader of this group of survivors. There is literally a new sheriff in town, and it's Rick. He is in charge of the zombie hiding camp, okay? The only problem is, is that Rick's old buddy Shane doesn't disappear. He, he sort of hangs around, like he's, he's been dethroned, but he's still there. He's sort of like always looking on from the shadows, and he's, he tries on several occasions to seize control back of the camp. Shane really wants to get his power back, and he keeps making these subversive kind of plays to get his power back and get his authority, and he gets increasingly agitated and, and more violent, and ultimately his desire to reign causes his death. So there's season two. Glad you got to hear that. Um, And meanwhile, Rick is still in charge, doing his best, trying to get his little ragtag camp home. And as Christians, we used to be under the rule of sin, right? Sin was running our camp. It was running the show. It called all the shots in our lives. It set the pace. It told us who we were. It kept us in bondage in the cruelest of slaveries. Sin coerced us into obedience, and sat atop the throne of our lives until it got kicked out by a ferocious and powerful new king. Now, 
We are free in Christ. Now we have a new and perfect sheriff. There's a new rule of law in this town, and it's not even law at all. Romans 6.14 says it perfectly. We just read this. It's grace. This new sheriff has freed us from the tyranny of the old way, of the former rule, and has set us free. He's the perfect captain. He's the truest liberator. He's the great emancipator, and his name is Jesus, and he sets us free. Free to do what? Free to be free. Free to experience change. Free to put to death our old selves and our old ways and our old lives and free to be made new, to grow and to do and to become. In Christ Jesus, we are finally free to become who we are. In Christ Jesus, we are finally free to become who we are. Think back with me. Over the past few weeks, Pastor Jason has been preaching kind of a mini-series inside Romans, and he's been assembling something he calls a case for Christ-like change. You guys remember this for sure. The first week, Jason talked about step one. Step one is expect to change. Boom, right there behind me. We confess our ruin, and we receive rescue. This means we should expect a big God to change us. Otherwise, he's not a very big God. We confess our ruin, that we've ruined everything, and we receive our rescue and our rescuer. And we're victims of this ruin, but we receive the timely rescue of our maker. See, we need an outside party to rescue us because we messed it up. We can't fix it. You can't fix what you broke. But Jesus Christ comes as an outside party to save the day and put the pieces back together. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, comes to earth on a rescue mission, lives a perfect life, and then dies in your place for your sins on the cross. And now you should expect to change. It is expected that Christians will grow. Expect to change. Confess your ruin, receive your rescue. So that was step one. And then we talked about embracing our death and resurrection. This is step two on the case for Christ-like change. This means you believe and embrace the reality that you are dead to sin and have been united with Christ in his resurrection. Through your union with Christ, through our union with Christ, we have positional sanctification. We're brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, never to return. You are no longer who you were. You are who you are. We are transferred from one place to another. Our union with Christ has given us positional sanctification, made us new. That's step two, embracing your death and resurrection. And today, I'm going to add the final step to this process. We're going to talk about step three in the case for Christ-like change. And it is this, exercise your freedom. Exercise your freedom. Become who you are. What I mean is this. Before we met Christ, we were in bondage. Slaves to our sin and hopeless to get out. There was no progress. There's no positive prognosis for us. But since Jesus, our perfect king, our new and true sheriff has come and set us free, we finally get to live 
in freedom and no longer in slavery. And the question I want to answer is how, how do we live in the freedom that comes through Christ? What does it look like for a Christian to walk in the freedom that Christ has brought? And today, I submit to you that it's time to exercise our freedom. Today, it is time for us to become who we are. Today, it's time for us to become who we are. Theologian Douglas Moo says it this way. Christ has not only set us free from the penalty of sin but also from the power of sin. Christ has not only set us free from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. If, through our union with Christ, we have positional sanctification, moved from darkness to light, set free from the penalty of sin, then today we're going to talk about what it means to exercise progressive sanctification, to exercise our freedom from the power of sin. Of sin. What that means is that we've been transferred from one kingdom into another one, and sin has lost its power over us. We used to be slaves, unable to resist our sinful temptations. And we walked in open rebellion to a holy God. But now, we are made alive. Remember the call to worship? But God, He stepped in. And now that we're made alive, renewed, We're free to walk more and more in the footsteps of Christ every day. Progressive sanctification is like justification set on fire. It's like justification set on fire. You're moving all of a sudden because God has declared you righteous and we've been united with Christ. We're now turned loose to pursue God with our whole beings. We're finally going to become who we are. Think about it like this. God has said you are holy, and now you will pursue holiness. God has declared us to be righteous, and now we will strive after righteousness. God has said we are beautiful, and now we will cultivate our truest beauty. God has brought us to himself, and we will now work to draw near to God. It's my understanding that we're going to do this in three simple ways. And we're going to explore each of those briefly today. But before I dive in too deep, I just want to point out that this topic is something that is very challenging. It's something you will always struggle with as long as you live. I am not exaggerating with what I'm about to tell you. Several weeks ago, in my ethos community, I was on the floor in the fetal position trying to work this out. I am not exaggerating. Ask anyone. Literally hugging my knees to my chest on the floor. Because it's so hard. And when I was assigned this text to preach, I started cracking up. Are you kidding me? This? (laughs) So I'm preaching to myself. And also all of you. And we all have to listen, because where else are we going to (laughs) go? This is not easy stuff, okay? It's really challenging But together, I'm confident that what we're going to learn today will be helpful. It's not the whole picture, but I hope it will be helpful. All right, let's get to work. The first part is this. If you'd like to take notes, point one. We work 
for our sanctification. We work for our sanctification. We work for our sanctification, and sometimes we work very hard for our sanctification. Sanctification is a big word that means becoming more like Jesus. That's all it means. But I'm going to use it like a thousand times today. So just roll with me. But translate it in your mind. It's not a big deal. Sanctification is volitional. It is something you engage in, we engage in, with our whole being. It doesn't just happen. It's a hard and often tiresome work we must pursue every day until we die. Look back at the text at Romans 6, 10 through 12. For the death he, Christ, died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Christ has laid the model for us of the hard work of obedience. Christ has modeled for us the hard work of obedience. The text says that Christ died to sin and and lives to God, for God. And then there's those three horrifying words, so you also. So you also. Three words that make a huge difference. What that means is your standard is Jesus Christ. We are called to emulate our Savior in our resistance to sin and our delight in God. We are called to emulate Jesus as we resist sin and delight in our Maker. But the work is hard. Remember that Jesus sweated blood while he was being obedient. Remember, his obedience led him into the desert where he was tempted for 40 days, relentlessly offered everything anyone could ever want. His obedience caused his friends to betray him, his loved ones to abandon him. His name was slandered everywhere, and his body was crushed unto death, even death on a cross. As you're working for your sanctification, it just might kill you. And if you need one more encouraging thought about that, I have it for you. So my buddy Pat, whose birthday it is, happy birthday, Pat, unbelievable guy, yes, Thank him, because he, he's the keystone. My buddy Pat says it like this. The closer we get to Christ-likeness, the further away we feel. The closer you get to being like Christ, the further away you feel. See, sanctification will not be complete in this lifetime. It's something you will work at for the rest of your life. And there's so much work to do. And every time you take a step forward, you feel like you've taken five steps back. It is so hard. And just know, I get it. Like, when I encounter doubts in my faith, almost always it's because I'm struck by how slowly I'm changing. Like, where is the progress? Why is it the same? Why does it feel the same? But know that the closer you get, the further away you're going to feel. So don't give up, okay? Check out what Galatians 5.1 says about this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 
Christ has not set us free so that we can resubmit to our old master. We must actively resist submission again to this slavery. We must stand firm. Our sanctification is volitional. We work for it really hard. And at times it's going to be exhausting. But we have work to do. We have to put sin in its place. Look back at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. See, sin is just like our buddy Shane from The Walking Dead. It's always trying to get back on the throne. It really thinks it's the best master for you. It's always trying to get in the driver's seat, but it's had way too much to drink, and it's not safe, and it's going to kill you. It's not working. Can I geek out with you? Can we geek out? We've already done zombies. Can I please have permission to geek out with you today? Here's how I think about it. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, bind them. If you know what I'm talking about, it's going to be a good day. (laughs) In J.R.R. Tolkien's epic, The Lord of the Rings, Hobbit Frodo, about this tall, entrusted with a ring of power. A great and terrible ring that enables the Dark Lord Sauron to wield his full wickedness, destroy Middle-earth, bunch of elves die. You've seen, right? You know how this goes. Frodo is entrusted with this ring and told to destroy it. It's a charge many people heard before, right? The problem is nobody really wants to get rid of it, right? They don't necessarily wear the ring, but they keep it close by, maybe in the pocket or on a chain around their neck or it's in an envelope on the mantle somewhere easily accessible they don't want it to control them but they can't bring themselves to part with it it even destroys the creature Gollum who follows it straight into the fire because he has to have it and the big problem with the ring of power is this it keeps finding ways to slip back on their fingers. Everyone acknowledges that when it's worn, it only brings death and destruction. But it keeps getting back on their fingers because they keep it so close. And aren't we just like that with sin? Don't we keep it around so we can stay neighbors with it. We don't want it in our house, but it better not move out of the neighborhood. We want it next door so we can borrow a cup of sugar or ask it how it's doing or catch up for old time's sake. Think about it. You finally kicked your porn addiction, right? Finally. But your thought life is a wreck. You can't stop watching TV shows with nudity in it. You're reading the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue or the trashy romance novel, and you can't figure out why you're not making progress joke or you finally give in to your spouse you come home for dinner with your family but you spend the whole night like this just staring at your phone your kids grow up without you while you're consumed in a digital world and you can't turn off your work email account for two hours to have dinner and you wonder why you're a horrible husband or wife or friend or brother or son or daughter 
Why is your marriage falling apart? Why is there no intimacy? You sure do seem to be well-connected with everyone except for the people with whom it matters. Or you move on from your difficult past, but you use Facebook to stay in distant pseudo-relationships with all the people who've proven themselves toxic to you time and time again. Or better yet, you spend hours judging their parenting. Life decisions, job transfers, what they feed their kids. Or maybe you use it as an opportunity for envy, where everyone else's life is so perfect, and you spend hours online envying your friends or anything else that speaks to you. We don't want to wear the ring of power, but we keep it in the pocket, and we're so surprised when it slips back on our fingers. Are you really? You want to know what your real problem is? What our real problem is? We're trying to manage sin. We're trying to manage our sin, but you can't. It's a forest fire blazing, ready to consume you. It's a torrential downpour flooding your soul. You can't handle it. It's crushing you. You can't manage sin. You have to kill it. That's why Christ had to die on the cross. That's why. You, we, are trying to manage sin when it needs to be sent to the guillotine, put out to sea. May I submit to you, there are only two positions. You're doing the killing or you're being killed. That's it. John Owen says it so beautifully. Be killing sin or it's going to be killing you. And the more you try to manage it, the more frustrated you're going to be. The more you're going to find yourself thwarted at every turn, disappointed that you see little to no progress and you're in the same place you were five years ago. You got to Northwestern and you're still in the same patterns, spinning your wheels, no traction. You can't manage sin. Put it to death. We're free in Christ to put sin to death in our lives. We don't have to live here anymore. We really don't. I know you feel like you do, but you can move out of the neighborhood. You can have forward motion. But it's going to take work. It's going to take work. There's another way we work for our sanctification, and it's simple. We pour love on each other. Our freedom in Christ allows us to stop using people and start loving them. The new rule of grace that Christ has put in place allows us to stop hiding from people, start being known by them. Check it out in Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Isn't that weird? He's contrasting giving an opportunity to the flesh with serving one another through love. I think that's amazing. This is a pretty important statement about the power of community. My application for us is this. As we work very hard for our sanctification, we must do so in the context of healthy, viable, vulnerable Christian community. Here at Evanston Bible Fellowship, we have ethos communities that meet all over the city. They're everywhere. Different nights of the week, different places, different styles. 
we really want you to change. And we know you can't do it alone. That's the whole point. If you just show up on Sunday mornings and you're in the same patterns, I am not surprised. And you did it to yourself. We have so many places to plug in and learn and grow and be transformed. In these groups, we work together on our sanctification. We encourage each other. We cry with each other. We rebuke each other. We move on with each other. And we love each other. You're free to be known. You don't have to hide anymore. Sanctification is like a community garden that we all come to and we pour into and we tend and we reap from. We harvest beautiful fruit from the community garden of sanctification. We need community if we're going to grow. You need these people. Look around. And maybe more importantly, they need you. What are you waiting for? Get plugged in. Get known. All right. Let's look at the next way we become who we are. If you're a note taker, this is point two. We work in tandem with God for our sanctification. We work in tandem with God for our sanctification. See, we're not left alone. We work not only with each other through community, but also in tandem with Almighty God to grow. When it feels like we are spinning our wheels and in need of a boost or some traction, God has not forgotten us. Check back in with Romans 6, 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We're called not to let sin reign in our mortal body. But what I think is interesting is Christians, we already have someone in our mortal body ruling and reigning. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have the Holy Spirit of God within us, seated high on the throne of our hearts, our comforter, our seal. See, God initiated our sanctification. We talked about that. He moved us from one kingdom into another, and he hasn't forgotten about us. He doesn't check out. He's put the Holy Spirit within each of us calling us to follow him into the future he has for us. Elsewhere, Scripture affirms this idea. Check out Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Who works for our sanctification? Is it us or is it God? The answer is yes. We are working in tandem with God for our sanctification. 
You see it right here in Philippians 2. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling as God works in us. We are not alone. We've not been forgotten. God not only began this work in you, but he's meeting you in the process. As you grow, he works within you through his Holy Spirit. Elsewhere in the book of Romans, we learn that the Holy Spirit, in fact, enables us to put to death our sin. Check it out. Romans 8, 13. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I'm going to read that again. Romans 8, 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is straightforward, guys. With the Holy Spirit, life and the ability to put to death our sin. Without the Holy Spirit, nothing. Death. But with the Holy Spirit, we have a driver for our sanctification, giving us life and the ability to put to death our sin. To use an imperfect but hopefully helpful metaphor, imagine that your life is a car. Hopefully one with four-wheel drive, if you've looked outside in the last four months. Imagine that your life, your journey towards Christ-likeness, your sanctification is a car. God's Holy Spirit is the gas in the tank, the fuel that propels you to move forward, propelling us on and empowering our journey. No fuel, you're not going anywhere. But in order for this car to run, a lot of other things that have to happen. Keep the oil changed. Are your tires ready for winter? Is it clean? Are there a bunch of dents that need to be taken out of the body? Have you changed your headlights? See, the gasoline is the fuel that allows forward motion. It's the gas that makes the car go. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the car go. But somebody has to operate the steering wheel. Somebody has to push the gas pedal. You can't put it in cruise control and fall back taking a nap and expect to arrive safely anywhere. We're involved in the process, fueled by the Holy Spirit. Look back at Romans 6.13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. Your members to God as instruments for righteousness. See, not only has God put the Holy Spirit within us to keep the car moving, he promises that if we go to him and offer our lives as offerings, because we have union with Christ, because God has abolished the rule of law in Christ, he promises to meet us when we offer our lives to him as worship. God has abolished the rule of law and given us the rule of grace. And now we give our lives to God. See, it's not enough to only work for your sanctification by putting sin to death. Simply killing your sin is not enough. It will not yield the fruit you desire. You must desire God. You must enjoy the expulsive power of a new affection. Something new has caught your eye and you can't take your eyes off of it. Yes, we put our sin to death. Of course. There are steps to be taken. It's not enough to pursue the absence of sin. We must pursue 
communion with God. And that is what Scripture means by present yourselves to God. That's what it means. And we present ourselves to God in all kinds of ways. We pray. We read God's Word. He's just written us this love letter and we just leave it on the shelf. We fast and feel our need for God. We spend time in solitude. We cut out the noise and hear from Him. We present ourselves to God as broken instruments. And He makes a beautiful melody out of our fractured lives. Where there once was discord and sin, God makes the most marvelous of tunes. A melody of hope and the promise of a future. Okay, so we saw that we must work hard for our sanctification. And we've seen that God does not leave us alone in the hard work, but that he works in synergy with us, enabling us by the Holy Spirit and accepting our lives as offerings. And we believe God's promises that he's going to meet us and make beautiful music out of our lives. And now we'll see that God also works on our behalf in sanctification. If you're a note taker, this is point three. God works for our sanctification. God works for our sanctification. Even when we can't. We used earlier the language of putting something to death, of a battle, of a war even. And what this means is that when you can't finish the fight, when you go down in the championship rounds and you don't want to get back up, God steps in and fights for you. That's what it means. In fact, as Christians, you know that God is going to win the fight. Even when you can't. God is going to win the day. Check it out in Philippians 1.6. I love this verse. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you're like me and you become super discouraged when there's no progress... When you can't seem to win the battle, when it feels hopeless, take heart. Almighty God, sovereign ruler, will step in and finish the fight. He has always been the active agent in your salvation. He began the good work, and he meets you in the work, and he's going to finish the work. He is. Do you believe it? We're going to be perfected one day, not in this life. Other side of death, though, you will. You're going to follow Jesus into glory, into the presence of God. And when you're weary from the fight, take heart because you're weak, but you have a strong God, a mighty warrior. When Christ came to earth, kicking out the old sheriff of law and giving us a new precedent of freedom and grace, he gave us assurance that the journey was going to be completed. As those who've been united with Christ... We can be sure that just like Jesus, we're going to enjoy the presence of God forever. And this is exactly what Paul says in Romans 6, 14. Oh my gosh. Look back at it. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Sin will have no dominion over us. Not now, not ever again. This is a proclamation over us, an encouragement to us, and a promise for us. It's a beautiful glimpse of 
the guaranteed end game. Sin will be completely defeated. Never to raise its ugly head again. Checkmate. That's what Philippians 1.6 is getting at. God began the work of sanctification in us. And he's going to complete that work for us, even as he works with us. Emmanuel, right? God with us. And in this case, God for us. We have hope. God promises us this hope, and he can't lie, so bet on it. Like, rest in it. Take it to the bank. Take everything you have and give it up and put it on this one betting line because it's a sure thing. Trade all your possessions for it. Give your whole life to it. God is working in you. And when you're weak, he's strong. And when you can't finish the fight, he will. And when you feel like you've lost it all, you haven't. You may almost have. But you haven't lost the promise that he will finish the race for you. Earlier we said this. We said that Christ has not only set us free from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. We said earlier that Christ has not only set us free from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. We have freedom. Freedom to be obedient, to work at our salvation in Jesus Christ. See, there's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Jesus, and he kicked out our old slave master. Gone. And now we're set free. Free to become who we are. See, before Christ came, before Jesus, the hero, the apex of history, came into the story, we had no hope. There was no way to say no to sin. You were always going to click on the link. There was no way. You were always going to obsess over what you don't have. There was no way. It was over. But when Jesus, the hero, came into history, entering into our numbered years, he gave us hope and a promise. We couldn't say no to sin. We couldn't be pure. We couldn't be who we were meant to be. But now we can. The game has changed. We have a hope. Jesus is our glorious king. And he's delivered us out of bondage. Setting us free to become who we are. To work really hard at being just like him, our rescuer. And it's going to be so tiring. But we're in it together. We are. We're called to work for our sanctification and we're called to trust that God is working with us and we're going to become who we are by relying on the Holy Spirit. But we know that however our days go, God is going to finish the work he started. He's not forgotten you. He wants us to work, but he's with us in the process and he's going to win the day. God has begun a good work in us. He started a work. He's continuing it right now in your hearts. In our lives, he's moving. And he will finish. He will finish. And it may feel like a long time as we wait 
for the day where we are perfect on the other side of eternity. But right now, it's time for us to become who we are. Let's pray. God, that you would give us a vision for becoming like you, for modeling our lives after Jesus Christ. God, that you would move in our midst, that you would fill us with your spirit and help us feel the comfort that comes from knowing we are not abandoned. And God, give us faith to believe that you are the perfect leader guiding us home to you. God, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what you've given us through the promise of the Holy Spirit. God, move in our hearts even now. In Christ's name.